You know, you don't have to wear a red unitard and carry around a pitchfork to have bad seeds deep within your heart that will defile your whole person. The sin nature produces deeply rooted ideas that we tend to love and hold dear. Yet, when these matters are measured against the holy nature of God, they will be found repulsive and utterly defiling. However, Christ does not want us to live lives that are surrounded by defiled things, and he doesn't want defiled things to be consuming our heart. He doesn't want us to be producing defiled fruits that contaminate the world around us. Instead, Christ wants us to examine ourselves and be transformed by the Holy Spirit and to live as he taught us to live. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and an adventure, if I can even get our own tagline out, produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. Thank you for joining us. And there's one other with me here in Cord Purgatory. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And while we're on the topic of that which defiles, and that's the title of our message today, we'll be in Matthew 15 here in a second. For those that are curious, right now I'm like three and two with the ladybugs. I don't know about Anthony, but I think ladybugs can definitely go on the list of things that defile. I don't know what a three and two means, but they are everywhere. It means I've had like five battles with the ladybugs and have come out victorious in like three of them. I didn't even know ladybugs could swarm, but this year I had them up in my sleeves like the other day. Um, if you follow our Instagram, there's some, a picture of them up at the church, but they're not just at the church. They're everywhere. I was up in someone's attic the other day just trying to see if they had a roof leak, and as I was calling over there, next thing I know there's ladybugs like inside my shirt and stuff, and I turned my flashlight, and there's just hordes of them. Um, inside, outside, I went out to my shop this morning, and there's so many ladybugs you couldn't tell what was going on. So they defile. There's a lot of things which defile us. Some things are internal, some are external. And we're going to look at Scripture and see what Christ wants us to do, how he wants us to be cleansed. So, Anthony, would you read for us today out of Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20? And perhaps this will give us the encouragement we need to have to reign victorious over the predatory ladybugs. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. Then he called to the crowd. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense whenever they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart, come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. You know, you can hear the disciples coming. They come over there and say, hey, Jesus, you know, um, the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said. I mean, come on. These guys come over there like a little snitch coming to tell Jesus what the Pharisees are offended by. And you hear this, and you're like, come on. Does it not just almost aggravate you hearing them come, Anthony? You see that? It is a little bit like some snitches. Yeah, there's some, there's some little snitches. And, and 
we'll, we'll get back to that further in, in this, the message. We'll, we'll come back to that aspect of things. But anyways, I want to share a story with you all about something that happened when I was a boy, and it relates to what really defiles a person. So when I was uh, a young boy of kindergarten age, to be exact, I was one of the teacher's kids. And what that meant is all of us who were children who had a mom working there at Pleasant View Elementary School, we were forced into a certain unsanctioned camaraderie with one another. And this was simply on account that we had no other choice but to spend the afternoons all together. We kids, we didn't get to choose one another. We had no choice but to tolerate each other since we were all confined to the same daily routine. And, you know, when you see school children, a lot of times they're the same age, but all of us teachers' kids, we weren't the same age. Some of them were much, much older. Some were younger. And as you know, kids, you know, if you're in like eighth grade, you're way too cool to hang out with like a kindergarten or stuff like that. So, you know, we weren't the same age. Therefore, we lacked the common interest that you might find in a single classroom. There was no compulsion of familial love. And in short, we were just a mixed match of social cliques and different ages and different interests. And in spite of this, circumstance required us to endure a common association with one another on a daily basis. So when I was in kindergarten, this is a, a story which happened to me. And just to give you that, kind of what all of us who were teacher's kids were like. We kind of got along, but not really. We're just kind of all forced to be there. But there was one particular boy who was in the second grade. And he was a year younger than my brother, who was in the third grade. But as a kindergartner, seeing like a second grade boy, he seems so much bigger than you. He seems so much older. It seems like a huge difference, even though really there's not so much. But he was certainly much larger and, you know, people can, they can read a lot better and stuff when they're in second grade. So the second grade boy, he had a knack for taunting the younger kids. He would taunt and aggravate us, which is like the ultimate torment for kindergartners. To a child, the use of the mouth can establish more torment for children than perhaps even the worst torture instruments of the medieval imagination. And this guy, he was the worst. He would come in day in and day out and, and taunt us. He would tease us about stuff, make fun of the stuff that we liked as kindergartners. And because we're all teacher's kids, you're kind of stuck there with one another. And it was really a, a terrible thing. His terror really never came to do us any physical harm, but he was purely just a psychological terror to us as, as kindergartners. Or those of us who were the, the teacher's kids of, of kindergarten age, anyways. So most of us... Um, we were kind of held together in this uninvited fellowship where we really didn't like one another, but we had to. But everything that we did kind of stayed within ourselves. Again, all of us teachers, kids, we were all under the mentality that you're going to get in trouble. You know, you're going to get a spanking if any of you disrupts any of the adults. You know, nobody is supposed to bother any of the the school employees or anything after school. You just kind of all hang out and keep to yourself. And one day there was an event that happened that really, really lets some light on things that defile. So one day. We're kind of all minding our business and we come in and we find that we're all about to get punished. We're all about to, to get a little disciplining and we have no idea what's happening. And, you know, where I come from, a lot of times there was like the initial discipline, which was just to get your attention. And then you might find out later what you're in trouble for, um, which was all merited, by the way. Well, this one unique time we're, we're in here getting punished and we have no idea what our crime is. You know, we, we kind of had the fear of God put in us just children. You know that you're always deserving something. The sin nature has caused some bad behavior. But at this time, we didn't really know what we had done. And after our punishment was over, we found out that this second grade boy, he had decided to kind of go and tell the teachers that us younger kids took off our belts and beat him. And now I'm not going to add any names here because I don't want to give away the names of the innocent in this story because there's a problem with this. It was a lie. It never happened. We never took our kids, our belts off and beat this guy. 
in fact, the truth was he taunted us. He provoked us. He never really did anything physical, but he always, you know, made fun of us, did stuff like that, which was really aggravating. But he decided he was just going to go tell the teachers that we took our belts off and beat him. Well, you know, in the world of kids, something has to be done because Big Boy over here has just committed a very serious crime. If he was an adult, this would be considered a felony. You know, you've got to go away for more than a year for this one. So it meant it was time for us to take matters in our own hands. And we decided it was time to give him that real beating that he says that he had gotten. And um, we didn't take our belts off to do this, but I remember... Um, it happened on the, the Pleasant View Elementary playground. We went outside and we settled this with this kid. And I feel bad about it now. I really didn't do much about it because I was a kindergartner. But again, all the kids got disciplined and the third graders are bigger than the second graders. So he got a um, fairly substantial whooping in this. However, the real beating after that happened, even though, I mean, it's kids, so it really wasn't that severe. Um, he didn't tell anyone after it actually happened which is interesting. Like he lied about it happening before it happened and we had to answer for it before we even did it. And then after it kind of happened, he didn't, didn't tell anyone. I guess it didn't work out so well for him. So I bring all this up to ask you this question. And I'll even ask this to Anthony. Anthony's often the one who gets my rhetorical questions directed at him. And he knows this happens all throughout the week, even when we're not on air. So Anthony, what positioned us for this? Why did this kid end up actually getting, getting whooped? I guess uh, he made you suffer the consequences of, you know, whooping him. Um, it is kind of funny, well, actually. Y'all paid the price to whoop him, which normally comes after the It normally whooping. comes after. But from a very literal standpoint, what did he do that initiated this? Did he, did he cause any physical harm to us? No. What did he do? Lied. He lied. It was what came out of his mouth. What defiled him and what defiled our... Not very fun association we had together as kids, but whatever fellowship we had, you know, what defiled him was what come out of that mouth. And very often when we look at the world around us, we found that it's people's mouths that get them into trouble. Furthermore, it's not just what they say, but the ideas they come up with. They scheme. They decide things like, oh, I'm a second grader and I'm going to go lie about what some kindergartners did. People come up with things and they get in their head and it becomes sinful. You know, and even us as kids, this was before my my. Christian days for sure. It's a long time before my pastor days. You know, you know, I repent. We should have had forgiveness over this. So I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and, and start fights as kids. But at the same time, justice needs to be handled appropriately. Whenever we get an idea in our heads that is sinful, we start justifying to ourselves that it may not be so bad, that it may not really be sin. And we start to defile our moral compass. And out of this, our whole soul can be defiled. I want us to think when we come to this particular text and even what I shared so far about an attitude of cleanliness. We know that the New Testament and the Greek language communicates a lot through making comparisons. Jesus comes and he makes a lot of comparisons. He, he looks at what the Pharisees are doing. He shows what he is doing. He looks at really what things are going on in the world and then he shows you who he is. He looks at Herod the Great who is the king of the Jews. He begged Rome for that title. And then Jesus, he, he never goes around and, and demands people call him king of the Jews, but he shows you what it really looks like to be the king of the people of God. Jesus does a lot to make comparisons. And in this text, we find an attitude of cleanliness. And it doesn't take a lot to say that. Basically, what comes out of your mouth is what makes you defiled, is what Jesus is teaching us. This is what makes us unclean. And by reading this, we can learn what makes us clean.
Rather than having profane scenes that pervert the soul, and whenever we have seeds in there, and again, you find in with this text, Jesus says, anything that's a plant that wasn't planted by the Father, going to rip it up. You know, but if it's a good seed that is of God, then it's going to be left alone. Rather than having profane seeds that pervert our souls, we should embrace and nurture the seeds that God plants in our lives. In the scripture, the disciples came to Jesus and they played their hand at snitching. Unfortunately, they overplayed their hand because you can't snitch to God. So that's, that's one thing for starters here. And moreover, Jesus doesn't care for their snitching and he does not care who is offended. I mean, you can just hear the, the disciples there. I don't know which one did this or what group of disciples came from that, but you can almost hear them coming over with like their snot nose saying, Jesus, the Pharisees are offended. And you're just like, no, Jesus doesn't care. But he does care about the disciples and he does care about people. Being offended is an attitude. Our modern world is very much obsessed with being offended. You can't say something to hurt someone's feelings. But the truth is, and Jesus knows this, being offended is an attitude. We have no control over how other people will, will react. Even you find this in the, the Holy Scriptures where Jesus says, you know, he's looking at the, the generations of Israel and says, what am I going to call this generation? You're like children out there who says, we, we played the, the harp. You know, we, we played the music. You didn't dance. We sang and you, you didn't sing with us. We weeped. You didn't mourn. You cannot ever please people who have an attitude of being offended. They'll find something else to be offended by. That's just how the world works. The Pharisees have this. Usually whenever people have this sort of attitude, there's something deeper in effect than them actually being repulsed by something in the world. Yes, on rare occasion, there are some things in life that are objectively vulgar and not fit to observe. However, these things are far rarer than people make them out to be. And this is especially true here in the modern day and age. Being offended is an attitude. And similarly, being clean is an attitude. Throughout our lives, we should always be looking to bear good fruit. And our fruit is not so simple as just to be the products of our work, but it is the product of our hearts and our minds. And having an attitude of cleanliness is not the same as thing as having an attitude of good intentions. Because again, when you say it's the product of our hearts and minds and you say, oh, we had good intentions. No, having an attitude that bears good fruits from our hearts and minds, it happens in life. And it happens a, across a spectrum of things. And it's not just one incident. Whenever we're doing things in life, we, if you've been an adult, and I hope that, that we all grow into adults if you're not an adult listening to this, but if you've been an adult, you realize that you can make a big mess out of things with good intentions. Is this not true, Anthony? Anthony, the recipient of rhetorical questions that aren't so rhetorical. Um, well, it's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah you, you can, and you can misread situations. We're not God. You know, if, if you're out there and you're thinking that you need to be at the top of your moral compass, you know, you're in dangerous idolatry territory. None of us have the all-seeing eyes of God. That is reserved for God. And what happens is when we, we think that good intentions are enough, then we'll kind of ignore the messes that we create. Sin and all the forces of evil, they like us to believe that we are doing good when we are making messes of the world around us. So when you have an attitude of cleanliness, what this looks like is you look across life and say, oh, this is bearing good fruit and it's coming from the heart. It's coming from the right place. And you look and you back and you might say, you know, that one really made a mess. It came from the heart. I was well intended when I did that, but it made a huge mess of things. So therefore, something was wrong. And when those two things happen, again, this is self trying to be self-aware, self-examination. When you look at life and you see, you know, I thought I was doing something right, but it really didn't actually line up with the gospel. It didn't line up with, with how Christ taught us to live. We need to take a step back and make changes there. This is 
part of being an adult and being honest. This is one of the reasons why I'm very skeptical of a lot, a lot of ideologies out there. Pretty much, well, I'll let Anthony step in. He's signaling to me. Well, I was just thinking, um, you know, a large part of what we're placing in our moral compass is a matter of trust and um, whether or not we're willing to trust God and trust God working through the gospel and things of that nature. And I always think back to the story of Adam and Eve where they partook of the uh, fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And I think an interesting application of that story here is how they put on fig leaves for clothing. And that was not bad in itself because God gives them clothing later on, but he gives them better clothing of skin that's actually like functional and useful for something uh, rather than clothing of fig leaves, which is borderline pretty much useless. And so in the same way, Adam and Eve, they had intentions to protect themselves and to conceal themselves, and they executed it very poorly. And God steps in and... He gives them a much better execution of the same intentions to conceal themselves and protect themselves from the elements with clothing of skin, which is sure, a million yeah. times better than uh, clothing of fig leaves. So, Yeah, that, that's that's why I'm very skeptical of a lot of things that are infecting the church today from within the church. The things which start outside the church and then they come and make their, their nest inside the church. Things like, you know, insert justice issue here, insert identity-based thinking here. Things which you cannot self-examine, you can't apply critical thinking to, and you're you're called names if you apply critical thinking to it because the stuff just doesn't add up. It's you know self-contradictory and doesn't measure up to the gospel. Whenever these sort of things happen, you you really realize well if people aren't willing to examine themselves. There's there's something wrong because people aren't being adults at that point. And so often in life we find that we get used to living by defiled things around us that we no longer desire holiness. The disciples in this scripture lost sight of holiness. For a brief moment, they were more concerned with what offended the Pharisees than what was actually true. They ceased to care about advancing truth and advancing the gospel, which brings transformation to all people because everybody's sinners. Everybody needs to be healed and cleansed. Everybody's been defiled by sin. Everybody needs the cleansing power of Jesus. They forgot that for a moment, but yet Jesus loved them all the same. And Christ wants us to have this joy. So I know we've been a little bit dark. We've talked about defiling things and even ladybugs, which what are, what are, you know, they look so innocent, but they're like a menace. I didn't know they could swarm, but you, you talk about all this stuff, but we're going to move to talking about joy. Anthony's over there laughing now. They, they swarm to get you. It's not like a swarm, like a swarm of bees, but it's like there's just so many of them. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about the menace of the, of the ladybugs. <laughs> no, it's, it's bad. I was coming out of this attic and, um, I went to put my hand down on the ladder, and there were so many of them in my sleeve that I felt something crunched under my hand. It was just ladybugs. Mm, that's gross. Yeah, it was gross. But it, it's I've seen it in three different buildings. The last three buildings I've been in, which are in three different counties, so it's not like one place. I'm not just saying one place is nasty. And right after that happened, somebody called me to tell me how many ladybugs they saw on the golf course. So it's all over Tennessee right now. And if you don't have the ladybug menace in your house and you live in Tennessee, praise God. If you do have the ladybugs in your house, praise God anyway, because they're God's creatures too. Well, God wants us to have joy in life, and he knows that many of us, when we look at the world around us, we look to day-to-day life, and we, we are looking for joy. God is aware of this. God is aware that there are sufferings in life that come to rob us of joy. He knows this. This is why the disciples, they don't have to snitch to Jesus. Jesus knows. Jesus is God the Son. And when we look at the world, 
we can see that sin and death, they do cause suffering. The love of Christ looks at the world and it chooses to redeem rather than to destroy. God could have looked at the world and said, you know what? Sin has come. It's defiled everything. It's nasty. It has defiled the breath of life. I'm going to destroy everything so that sin can never defile another breath. But that wasn't how God's nature was, and it's not how God's nature is. Again, God is a solid rock. The love of God chose to redeem us rather than to destroy us, and for that we should be very grateful. Furthermore, as we suffer through the miseries of fallen creation, we should be encouraged and look more and more towards God's kingdom. And as our hearts are cleaned by Christ, we find that he wants us to live holy lives. And the more holy our lives are, again, it's not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the more we found that our surroundings, they start to be transformed as well. Holy living is the only possible way that we can find holy things around us. And it is made possible through the cleansing power of Jesus. If we want the kingdom of God to be around us, then we need to be living as holy people. Again, this isn't just saying a works-based theology. It's not that at all. But it's just saying a logical syllogism. Again, we're adult. We can make distinctions. It is by the power of Christ Jesus that we are saved and he initiates salvations. But one of the products, one of the outcomes of living there, a life with Jesus, is that you life is being renewed day by day. It's being transformed by his image. It becomes more holy, and therefore the things around you start to be holy. So let us pray for the cleansing power of Christ Jesus and the joy that comes with holy living as we close. So let's just take a few moments, and I'll, I'll pray with you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Lord, as we've heard this message and we've seen the importance of being cleaned, come and cleanse our lives. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Anthony, any final thoughts before we close? Are you going to go and battle some ladybugs for me? Probably not. Well, Luigi's Mansion 3 just came out. And, like, I'm a sucker for things Nintendo. I also like the original Ghostbusters. So there's going to be, like, a crossover of Luigi's Mansion Ghostbusters in real life where you've got the vacuum. But instead of sucking up something paranormal, it's just going to be ladybugs. Vacuum all them bad boys up. Gone. Get. That does not sound fun. You know what? There's a lot of things in life that you just got to do. <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, we'll see. Anyways, thank you for joining us. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the podcasting places. If you'd like to don donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. With that, make sure you're part of a local fellowship. God love you and have a blessed day.